Hey, welcome to Richie Brothers Inside Edge podcast. We conduct dozens of farm retirement auctions each spring where we sell thousands of agricultural equipment items across North America. In this month's episode of the Inside Edge, we're going to sit down with our in-house ag experts to talk about our latest farm-focused market trends report. All right, let's go. Richie Brothers Inside Edge, your guide to the latest news and trends in heavy equipment and trucks. Here's Andrew Engelhart. Hey, welcome to another Richie Brothers Inside Edge podcast. Uh, this month, we are talking ag equipment, and we have two ag equipment experts from Richie Brothers here with us today. We have Jordan Clark and Luke Fritshaw, who are both part of our ag division and selling ag equipment. And uh, welcome, guys. Thank you for, for being here. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Glad to be here. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate being called an expert. Yeah, so um, Jordan, let's let's start with you. Probably a question people would just like to know is what is the most popular type of ag equipment on the market today overall? I'd have to say the the category that probably drives the most interest is agricultural tractors. And it really doesn't matter if it's a track tractor, four-wheel drive, mechanical front-wheel drive, two-wheel drive, or even compact utilities. That just seems to be a category that everybody has a lot of uh, passion around. And I think just as I list out four or five, six different types of tractors, that's a pretty good indication as to why there's such popularity around it. Every farm has a need for multiple sizes of tractors, right from you know high horsepower tractors pulling uh, air drills and planters, uh, right down to uh, utility tractors and smaller and older horsepower uh, tractors running utilities such as uh, augers, grain vacs. Uh, so the usage just runs from very small to very big. And as farmers become more efficient with their operations, kind of the, the age old process of unhitching one tractor to go hitch onto another implement to go do a job has kind of gone by the wayside. So a lot of customers are actually just having multiple tractors to hitch on implements and leave them there. And that, that'll kind of finalize the purpose of that that attachment so just find that um the lifespan of of tractors seem to hang on forever uh you can go to any farm right now and see a 56 year old tractor still in operation where you wouldn't see that with a combine uh or even a sprayer so their longevity is just is that much more and the purpose of what you know they they would have been maybe a main tractor 30 40 years ago and now they're a third or fourth in the line but still very much needed on today's operations and just on that, is there one specific type of tractor that you're seeing kind of the most popular or is it, does it vary on, you know, region or need or is there anything we seen there? Well, I, I think it, it does vary a bit on region and, and kind of required necessity. But I think if anything, there's been a, a trend towards four wheel drive tractors into track machines, just as people see the benefits of what tracks can do both early in the season and late in the season for some very important timeframes of, of seeding and utilizing a tractor for harvest. Just more and more people want the benefits of traction and less compaction with a, a track tractor check kind of both those boxes. So although the four-wheel drive is still very popular and uh, would outnumber track machines on most farms, there's there's been a definite trend and switch over to track tractors. However, that does come at a cost. They, they do you know come in a significant price increase versus a four-wheel drive, but I think the, the long-term benefits will outweigh the cost increase. Right. Well, that's interesting. I mean, sort of segues into our, our next question is, and Luke, let's throw this one over to you, is while track tractor units coming to auction have had a higher sort of median age this year, 
we've still seen prices increase like 16% in Canada, 11 in the US. Why do you think the demand, I mean, Jordan touched on it, but why is the demand so high for the track units? Yeah, I think Jordan touched on a lot of it. I think a big demand and a big driver of price is not only what the new price is, everything seems to be going up in the world. Um, tractors are no different, but the accessibility as well. You can drive by a lot of different dealerships, use lots. And the one thing you rarely see is a high horsepower tractor, specifically a track tractor sitting there for sale. They usually get scooped up pretty quick. So when we get the opportunity to sell them by auction, whether it's a farm retirement or a realignment or any kind of dispersal or, you know, even a guy selling just one tractor, the demand for it gets high and the the bidding goes nuts because they're just not available out there right now. Is it anything like other types of equipment where is there uh, any kind of shortage of supply out there or like the OEMs, have they slowed down making them? Is that anything of that contributing to the price or demand going up? Yeah, it's it's really it's really driven them up. There's a lot of deals out there that you hear about where the new purchases just aren't showing up on time, which just flows down the kind of waterfall of used prices and actually used availability because a lot of those larger farmers are trading in their old ones to the dealership and then they get to sell them to the next farmer as a used unit. So yeah, the manufacturers really had to cut back just due to supply chain issues and things like that. So it's just really forced the chain chain reaction down the line. And, and as the manufacturers catch up and they start getting over the supply chain issues with a lot of their equipment, I think that we're going to see probably them catch up in production, um, deliveries start showing up on time. And obviously I, at that point, they'll ramp up and, and start getting more units out into the market, which will probably settle down this, uh, this high, not to call it inflation, but high inflation in prices that we've seen over the last couple of years. And I think one of the things that we've also seen too is that through the supply issues and the rollback of production from the manufacturers, they've realized that uh, there still is a demand and the price, you know, really is at an all-time high for these assets. So I think moving forward, what we're hearing from a lot of manufacturers is they're not they're not necessarily going to get to pre-COVID production levels because they really don't need a strong demand and a strong price right now. So why would they overproduce? So the allocation available to dealerships has has kind of been pulled back and I think is almost leveling uh, at numbers that were less than what it was pre-COVID just for the fact they can balance the number of units in the market today. But they're also doing that at a, a spot where the demand is, is quite high and the price is quite high as well. Well, um, I mean, you, you touched earlier on four-wheel drive units being being super popular still. So we saw price increases in Canada. Uh, but the U.S. saw a 50% decline approximately. And we we're wondering why do you think there's such a huge discrepancy in the two markets? Yeah, I think maybe it's not telling the the, the total story on both north and south of the border. Uh, I think the markets that we sell for and we sell into are quite different in Canada and the U.S. So on uh, on the Canadian side, majority of our, our four-wheel drive sales will come from end users, farmers, through either farm retirement auctions or through consignments to our yard, and they will sell to other end users. So I think it's more reflective of what kind of true market to market value would be from one end user to another. In the U.S., we we don't have that same uh, selling pattern and same connectivity with the end user farmers on a selling basis. So I think a lot of the four-wheel drive transactions that we have in the U.S. are actually more so uh, industrial based, meaning that they're selling from construction companies to other construction companies. 
And so I think the the patterns for that will ebb and flow a little bit more on the industrial market, which seems to spike and drop based on time of the year, um, job availability, you know, projects and such, where the ag market seems to to roll on its highs and lows on a much broader scale and doesn't have the sharp uh, declines and increases that we see on the industrial side. So I think, you know, if we uh, if we had the chance and hopefully at some point will on the U.S. side to sell for more on the on the end user agricultural side, I think we'd probably see more uh, transactions and data that would be somewhat reflective of what we see in Canada. Well, getting a little slightly a little more into the weeds for mechanical front wheel drive units, we saw a huge decline in volume in the U.S. and uh, Canadian volumes are sort of steady again. Is there a discrepancy for that? Is it a reason for that discrepancy? Is it sort of based on what you just touched on? Well, I think if, if you look at, um, you know, the U.S. market is is one that would use a, a lot of mechanical front wheel drives more so than we would see, say, in, in Canada, especially in Western Canada. When you think about the wide open prairie in, in Western Canada, even in some of those spots in the U.S., that's where you'll see the demand of high horsepower four wheel drives that can pull larger implements, where in certain pockets in the U.S., uh, very similar to what we maybe see in Ontario and, and Quebec and Canada, the fields are smaller and their their uses of the tractors are, are a bit smaller. So a smaller frame tractor, such as a front wheel assist, would probably uh, have more use in, in certain areas than a larger horsepower uh, tractor in the U.S. In saying that, I think when you look at the number of units that were sold in the U.S. versus the year before, and I think that's just a very good reflection of more units on the market, less demand. So if you look at the 2022 data versus 2023, it's you know almost doubled for the units that we sold. And we see a you know a slight decline in in uh, medium price, so I think that's just probably more reflective of the amount of units available on the market and uh, just less demand uh, for those units. Well, let's uh, switch over to to uh, combines. And Luke, question for you: This is obviously it's another always a really big ticket item at auctions. We've seen prices tick up this year slightly in Canada. What do you think sort of accounts for that increased demand in, in combine market? Well, I'd love to keep riding the wave of availability, but combines are the one thing that uh, there is a lot out there. They're available everywhere. I think the biggest thing causing that uptick would be just good end user combines that we've sold so far this year and just the price of new. You know, we're we're breaking that threshold and companies are breaking that threshold of selling a million dollar machine. When I started in this business 13 years ago, I mean, that wasn't even a blip on the radar or, or something we could fathom. So it's just the the price of new keeps driving that and the price of good used equipment is just always going to kind of have to follow that because people understand that if they want to get new, it's X amount more, but they're willing to you know spend less, but they, they understand they still have to spend a little bit more than they did last year. Right. Okay. Well, Jordan, let's uh, chat a little bit about sprayers here. Another popular item on our auctions. Uh, we've seen a fairly significant increase in medium price over last year, despite units having a fair bit more usage. Do you think there's any reasons for that increase that you can put your finger on? This was a tougher one to, to, to dissect, but I think for me, and Luke kind of just touched on it with combines, we're, we're seeing some of the highest priced ag assets ever being sold in the retail market, with many units routinely being retailed uh, north of a million dollars and on Canadian side. So I think when you look at at just something like sprayer that is very, very specialized. And it's it's one of those machines where if you look at a tractor, a tractor can do multiple different jobs on a farm. Uh, it can be adapted and you kind of get by with one tractor to do maybe help with your 
your, your seating and, and you can use that maybe same machine for pulling a grain cart or something like that, or even some, some heavy tillage. When it comes to sprayers, they're very specialized and it comes down to an efficiency level. The windows for spraying in the season are very, very short. And if you miss that window by a week or two weeks, you know, then you can't access that field to, to spray a certain uh, pesticide or herbicide. You miss that window. It does have a drastic change on the outcome of the crop. So uh, what I find is that a lot of customers that will be upgrading their sprayers to get exactly what they want for the right size uh, and even the right capacity uh, and then technology as well. Last night, actually, when I was coming back from a, a kid's ball game, we actually saw two sprayers in the field that were using uh, technology that when they, they spot green in the field, they'll spray it. So it's the, the technology that we're seeing on sprayers is, is unbelievable. And I think that's probably wrapped up as much uh, on sprayers that we, than any other egg piece of equipment over the last 10 years is that technology. So it, uh, it's a very, very specialized uh, machine. I think a lot of farmers will tell you that the, the sprayer operator is someone that uh, has that expertise and is very sought after. But I think it just comes down to the fact that it's a specialized machine. Everybody wants the latest and greatest technology. So everyone will keep, will keep pushing. And of course, as Luke touched on, we've got a, a, a short demand in the market in general. So I think when a trade does come up, for uh, for sale, whether it's traded into a dealership or through an auction process, it's well sought after and it, it sells quite quickly. So we actually, year over year for the last couple of years, we've been setting records uh, within Canada for the highest price uh, sprayer that we sold. And we just actually broke that record again in, in, in April. So I think we're going to continue to see that trend, uh, especially on sprayers. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you talk about technology, it's fun to have all the nice gadgets, but the big reason that it's so expensive and it costs more to get into newer technology is it's actually saving the end user a lot of money. And, and like Jordan touched on it, it's only spraying the green weeds, you know, so as it, as it doesn't spray every section or every acre of the field, it's spraying just the spots that need to be sprayed. And that just turns into cost savings on chemical and, and, everything like that fuel same thing you know it just it's a big savings for those those end users so they're willing to spend more for newer technology spend more for for later model sprayers like we're seeing with those records you mentioned interesting well i mean we've seen similar price increases as well for air drills and cedars is it the same sort of them basically yeah a lot a lot of what jordan touched on it's the same thing that the technology of section control and the efficiency of these newer air drills and size obviously they're they're trying to make them bigger and and more efficient and better um it's just same thing it's all getting driven up by you know technology is a big part of it but you know so is steel so is rubber so is you know it's it's all increased in price and it's all just driving up the price of those new ones too yeah just even with air drills talking about an efficiency standpoint when you roll it back 10 years ago a large air drill at that time would have been 60 feet maybe 70 and routinely now those those same farms will have 76 foot 86 foot in certain cases 100 foot air drills so what what that does is you know as farms increase in size they can actually cover more acres with the same amount of people and do it more efficiently so even even this year in western canada it was relatively late seeding season um, but many many producers weren't actually too worried or too excited about that because they had the equipment uh, to cover the the same type of acres more efficiently and still get the crop in in a, a realistic time frame for the growing season, uh, just based on the, the size of the equipment that they had. So I'm, I'm guessing that farmers must, I mean, they must be seeing significant increases in efficiency if they're willing to shell out considerably more for air drills and sprayers and seeders. And it must be really 
doing the work that they expected to do. Yeah, and and you got to remember, just Jordan mentioned it. There's there's short time frames in the season to get everything done, and a, you know, an older air drill that you're fixing every day or every second day, or you're you know you're having breakdowns. That's that's really tying into the efficiency of being able to get your crop in or crop off when it comes to harvest or sprayed in the right time frame. You know, like all of these things in the egg world, it's just it's so time sensitive breakdowns are just crucial and and having to be stopped and not seeding when the sun's shining and then all of a sudden it could rain for a week and and now you're you're not behind two weeks now you're behind three right so it's all of those things when it comes to newer technology and and just even newer equipment instead of it being seven years old and you know a higher chance of breakdowns it can be two years old you know you're willing to spend that money to make sure that your crop gets in at the right time it gets sprayed at the right time and it gets it gets taken off the field and and winter doesn't hit and all of a sudden you have crop crop sitting out there all winter right i think the egg business is a unique one for the fact that your competitors for for lack of a better term your neighbors the the other farmers in an area their results are on display right beside yours Every single day of the year, as you drive up and down the roads, there's everybody's business is right front and center. So the ones that are doing it really well uh, and have a, a nice looking crop, you know, there'll be a lot of people that will look up and say, well, what are they doing that I'm not doing? And maybe it's the equipment, maybe it's the efficiencies, maybe it's the practices. So it's really a, a very competitive industry where you will find that as, as much as there's a very uh, a neighbor component of it and, and small communities that we want to help one another. I think there's also a, a driving sense of wanting to be better than than my neighbor as well, or at least taking what they're doing and finding a way to make it better. So there's a friendly competition amongst farmers in the industry right now of who can do it best and who can do it better. And so it's a bit of a race to the top when it comes to practices, uh, equipment, efficiencies, technology. So all that, I think, obviously has a, a direct impact on pricing at the end of the day because it's, it's just driving that demand and the right assets in, in certain areas. For sure. Well, one uh, sort of last equipment related question, and this is maybe not quite as high tech, but I, I could be wrong, is disc prices have seen a dip year over year. Is there a reason you think that they're struggling a bit more than other categories for equipment? Well, I, this is one uh, category. When I looked at the actual assets, the type of the assets that we're selling, a lot of the ones that we're finding that will, will come up for sale are older uh, discs. So, you know, when you look at the last couple of years, there's been, there has been a a strong demand into certain type of high speed discs, as they're called. So it's really a change from you know the 80s and 90s, where a double disc or uh, an offset disc would be uh, a, a tillage tool that would really rip up the ground, that would open up the soil. And there's there's been as technology changed and and farming practices have gotten better. There's been uh, a change in that where uh, less is more and less soil disruption is better. Uh, so that's actually driven the the discs. Uh, technology to be changed as well. So what we'll find is there's uh, has been a, a trend that a lot of customers will go after a high speed disc. And we probably five, six, seven years ago, we saw a huge increase in certain manufacturers getting the high speed market. Dagelman, John Deere, Salford, Horsch Anderson, uh, to name a few. And those are the leaders in the, the, the high speed disc category. However, in, in certain areas, those are used to help do a kind of a post-harvest uh, tillage where they would, would get the, the field ready for the next spring or to help level out rust, ruts if it's been a wet spring or a, a wet fall. But in most parts of the prairies over the last four or five years, it actually hasn't been that wet. 
uh, it's been very, very dry. So there's probably less of demand now than there was five years ago for a disc or a high-speed disc. Uh, however, it's one of those things that it comes and go when you need it, you got to have it. But when you don't need it, no one even talks about it. So uh, I think we're in that state right now where everyone's just kind of hear no evil, see no evil when it comes to a disc and, and what it's uh, actually for. But if we find ourselves in a wet season, uh, a wet fall, you can better believe that discs will, will reemerge and, and be a more sought after commodity. Um, well, let's switch gears a little bit here, um, Luke. You know, we switch gears a little bit in, in how we do auctions in the ag community now. How uh, we move from, you know, our live on the farm auctions, we would have auction, live auctioneers out and big catchers in a crowd. And we've switched to uh, more of our online timed auctions. And for uh, viewers and listeners, you know, the online timed auction is, is sort of an automated system. Uh, people can kind of go in a bit of their convenience They've got sort of a longer window to bid. Maybe you can just talk a little more about the benefits of that online timed auction system, you know, especially in this in the ag community and how it's helping them out. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. It's convenience, and and for our bidders and buyers, uh, the convenience of having three or four days to bid on equipment, having the exact time that it's about to close, you know, is very important as well. Um, we've actually seen an uptick in our bidding, especially the day before between 8 and 10 p.m. and, you know, 5 and 8 in the morning. And it just shows that when people have the time to sit on their couch and open their phone or before they go to bed or, you know, before they head out for work in the morning, they're having their morning coffee and breakfast and they can they can look and see where the, the piece of machinery is at when they're bidding or place their bids and go to work for the, the rest of the day, right? So it's it's all about convenience for those bidders and buyers. And and again, I, I go back to a story a long time ago when a, a customer who was a very busy man and everybody is in this day and age, you know, said, I want to know the exact time that piece of equipment is selling. And I'm, I, I can't tell you that, you know, I don't know if the bidding is going to go slow for the auctioneer, if it's going to go really fast, you know, I can give you a, an hour range, you know, and, and that just that just didn't really work for them. And now with the whole change to time to auction, you know, they can go on for three, four days when it opens up and they know exactly the time it's going to close. It might go a little later with extra bidding and time extensions, but they know that, you know, no earlier than one twenty nine on, on Tuesday that it's going to close and they can set their alarm. They can, you know, make sure that they take their lunch break at that time, whatever they do, but it's convenient for them. And that's the most important thing to get the most money for our, our sellers is to make sure that our bidders and buyers have convenience and, and comfortable when they're doing it. When it comes to the seller, we've, especially for on farms, I've seen a huge relief in stress from our sellers. Back in the days when we had to host an entire auction with 200, 300, 400 people on their farm, in their yard, it was a high stress environment. We needed them to have the equipment running in the morning. So when people showed up, it started at the turn of a key. So those sellers had to wake up early, make sure everything started in the morning. And in the month of April, there's some pretty cold days. And, you know, that just created stress. Then they had a whole bunch of people in their yard and, you know, getting asked a lot of questions on sale. They, you know, a lot of times we sat down at the end of the day and said, how the day go for you? And they were just like, I'm glad it's over. You know, and you could see it on their face. They were drained. They had no energy left. And as soon as we went to the timed auction where, you know, less people were there on sale day, lots of people still come and look and they come on sale day, they come the weeks prior. But that sale day, they they kind of sat with the people that they wanted there, um, friends, family, whoever, whoever they wanted to bring in. And they got to sit, sit there, relax, watch it unfold. 
you know, have a party after if that's what they desired. Some, some of them had a little, had drinks during, you know, and when you had a live auction, they just couldn't do that. They, they could relax with a, you know, whatever, a beer or pop, whatever they choose and, you know, enjoy the auction and watch it unfold and sit down after. And they just had a great experience. So we're, we're seeing a lot less stress on our sellers because it's, let's be honest, it's a crazy stressful day for them. It's their retirement sale for in, in a lot of cases. And it's, you know, it's their RRSPs, it's their pension plan when, when they sell their equipment and, and it's a high stress day, regardless, this is just one way I think that we we've seen them be a little more relaxed during that high stress day. Yeah. I, I think just to touch on that too, um, Luke touched about, you know, that their the retirement and it is, it, it's, there's a lifetime of work that's all coming to a head on one single day. And our farmers, our end users, our farming community, they love to be in, in control. And although every time they farm, they, they're not in control of Mother Nature, they're not in control of, you know, what crop prices might be. But there's a lot of things they are in control of when it comes to an auction sale. A lot of that control is not is not there. So when you look at even outside factors as to what may make their sales successful in the past or not was was weather. You know, is is it going to snow or rain? on sale day can customers actually get to their yard for a live auction can the auction company actually get to their yard for the auction sale in parking trying to get people even in and there's times that we've had to park in other towns and, and transport a bus customers in and there's there's just a lot of variables that um, when you look at it from a risk factor we're, we're quite high and from an auction company we try to mitigate those risks as best we can but there's even some that are outside of our control and, you know, I'm pretty proud of our company and our group that we've had doing our on-site and off-site, sorry, and, and farm auctions over the past. And we've been able to make it work. In some cases, some really, really challenging situations. But to Luke's point, now a lot of those risks are, are somewhat removed and the customers are enjoying the, the day and the, the benefits of it. And, and I think it just makes for a much more enjoyable experience and a more controlled experience. And from our standpoint, the scalability side of things, we're able actually to do more auctions um, than we were before. We were somewhat limited by logistics, by people, by resources, by equipment. And a lot of times the, the timing that we could then work with the customer for their sale, that, that didn't necessarily work for them. So we, we tried to, to make it work, but now we're able to adjust you know, much more easily and we're more efficient from an auction standpoint. And our customers, uh, as we've talked, even from the, the buyers, efficiency is a huge word that you'll hear in the egg market all the way along. And the customers, are, they want efficiency and they want to be efficient in their own market. They want to be efficient with when they're buying and when they're selling. And I think the timed auction process helps uh, make their, their day much better and more efficient for them. And I guess, you know, on the, uh, the stress issues, one thing, and maybe this is part of it, are the sellers also finding this to be sort of more convenient for them? In that, I mean, obviously, like you touched on, they're not having a, a crowd show up on one day, but are they finding it, you know, just easier to kind of manage on the whole with people coming to check out equipment and that sort of thing? I think so. The, the toughest part is a lot of them are retirement sales, so they don't have two of them. You know, we don't we don't have any customers that had it one way and now are having it another. But I I truly feel in the post-sale conversations that I've had is, you know, whether they know it or not, I can see it in their demeanor and, and the day that they've had. You know, the last one I went to, the we set up a projector in the in their shop and they had 40, 50 family and friends over all day, you know, and they visited while the 
we had the time to auction projected onto the wall of the shop and it was just lots of people laughing about prices and joking about prices and you know that just that just wasn't something that ever happened before lots of times you'd talk to the the seller at the end of the day and he's like i had no time to even see one thing sell didn't didn't hear one piece sell right and they're just they get so busy with questions and running around and they just don't get to actually experience how it all actually went down so i i you know it's hard to say if they're if they're feeling that I, I think from what I've seen um, it it's been better but you know like I said we don't have one person that did it one way and one and the same person that did it another it's just such a rare event for someone to have two full dispersals or two full retirement sales yeah and the live auction component uh, from the way that we used to do it prior to COVID was something that's that that really has been unchanged uh, since the start of time in, in Western Canada for auction, they, they, you know, for 150 years, auctions have been kind of held that way where an auctioneer will sell a piece to, to a public and they will bid in transparent form for a lot of people that are uh, very community minded and, and legacy people in these small agricultural towns in Western Canada. That was something that was a way of life. And, and to a certain degree, it still is, whether it's fundraising auctions and you, you could don't have to travel very far to find an auction happening somewhere in Western Canada. So the the change that that we had to transition to as a company was was stark and it happened quick. Obviously, we it, it had to happen through COVID. But you know, I think a lot of people they miss certain aspects of the live auction. But when you really you know have those conversations with customers as to what they they're missing, it's the social aspect. Auction sales were a way for communities to come together, for farmers to see other farmers, to talk about weather, farming practices, politics anything under the sun. And it was a way for almost a, a break in the farming action to go watch the auction sale. So to Luke's point about, you know, customers getting together at a seller's auction. Now we still encourage that the best we can. It's not the same format and the same platform that has happened in the past, but I think there's a lot of benefits that, that outweigh, you know, the way that we used to do it. However, we still want to have that, that atmosphere where customers can get together and still have that social aspect because I think at the end of the day, that's what customers really enjoyed. And to a certain degree, that's what they, that's what they miss. So it's, you know, it's our, our, our belief that we want to make sure that some way, somehow that customer, if they so choose, still can have a social outing, uh, can invite, you know, half the community over and their friends and families and whatever they, you know, they would like. To, to make that enjoyable experience. And we find that, that some don't even want that. They want to sit at the kitchen table and, and watch their sale transact over, over a computer on their TV, and that's their comfort level. So it's to each their own, which we definitely support and want to make sure that we can help them through that process. Definitely. Well, that's probably a good sort of segue into our next question. And this is just, uh, you know, something that might be in listeners and viewers might be interested in. And uh, how Richie Brothers stands out from other agricultural auctions or auction companies I mean, obviously, we touched on one. A lot of it is the online timed auctions, but is there there are other you know aspects that um, really make a difference, make a stand out? Well, I think when I when I stand back and look at at our, our leadership group that we have uh, within our agricultural auction team, uh, our territory managers, our our group of operations people that help behind the scenes to set up the sales. There's a common thread, uh, and that is our our strive to be the best. Uh, we have a very competitive attitude that we we want to be better than than our next competitor. So we we will find ways to constantly strive to do the little things right and and cover the details and push to be better than than the next. And even a competition amongst ourselves, we find that there's uh, you know a group that we're we're always 
challenging each other to try and be better and, and find new ways to improve our business. And I think from a, a company standpoint, that's just a, a mantra that we've always had right back to Dave Ritchie when you know he was one of the first auction companies that, that foresaw the use of live internet bidding. Uh, and, and to try and be that disruptor to the industry. So I think when I look at at things that, you know, even the change from from live auction to timed auction, if, you know, we made that decision in about 10 days, just for the fact that we had a, a whole bunch of sellers in an April auction season that we needed uh, to represent that put their trust for their retirement auction in, in us. And we had to transition and we had, I guess, the courage to do that, but also could rest on the fact that we had the platforms and the systems behind the scenes that we knew that if we had to do that, it would work. So from a company standpoint, we're continually investing in ourselves to make sure that we can stay in front of the ever-changing needs of our customers. As we talk about equipment needs changing for our customers, efficiencies, technologies, you know, their, their time being more important, the, the same things are happening internally with Ritchie Brothers that we're trying to stay ahead of the marketplace. And for the fact that we can continually do that, but still honor the, you know, the age-old you know, traditions and legacies that are important to our customers, but also marry that together with the latest and greatest technology and and not have the, um, you know, and I guess to have the courage to, to make sure that we continue to push the pace and disrupt the industry to make sure that, uh, you know, we're leading the charge. And I think from my standpoint at Luke's and I know our entire teams is we want to be the best and we want to find ways to do it right. And are we getting it right every single day? No, we're going to make mistakes just like anybody else. But uh, we, we rep- recognize that we get in front of it. And we, we stand beside it. And I think one of the, the other factors that I always talk about with, with Ritchie Brothers and our company is our transparency. Everything is above board with Ritchie Brothers, even right down to the way that we sell with, with it's, it's unreserved through live auctions. That's incredibly important to me. So as, as I talked about, you know, auctions 150 years ago, when you could see who you're bidding against, you know, that was a transparent aspect. And everything that we do is is transparent. We have nothing to hide and we want to be uh, as honest and, and upfront with customers as, as they want to be dealt with. So to me, it's just it's a, trying to do the little things right and constantly look at this. And this is our only job. This is our only employer. So we, we do everything we can to make sure that we uh, push in the pace and leading the charge within the auction industry. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one thing a lot of uh, customers or sellers don't always realize, and you sort of touched on this, is the number of people that uh, are kind of working in the background. Um, you know, they might have a few people they're in touch with, like face to face. But, you know, you think of all the people that are sort of running the running the show behind the scenes from you guys to every, to people in IT and, you know, tech and people searching titles and the whole thing. There's like hundreds of people behind, you know, kind of every auction that, that people don't necessarily get to see. But that support network, I, I imagine, is just it's a huge, a huge part of, of what we do. Well, if I can speak from my own personal transition, is we we had our own family-owned auction company. We we sold to Richard Brothers in 2007. So a lot of our competitors, you know, are, are owner operators, and uh, I was in that same uh, spot as well, where we were doing many many jobs with you know very few people to to cover those jobs, and we necessarily didn't have specialists in any any one of those categories. So uh, the thing that attracted me with Richie Brothers was the team. The, the team behind the scenes, touched on at the IT, the finance, the legal side, the operational, the setup side, you know, our auctioneers, our salespeople, there is just a, a very large team there to support. And I don't know if, you know, people truly understand what it goes into to, to run a successful auction, but behind every territory manager that meets the the customer for the first time, and then the, the group of two or three of our setup people that come to help with assist with the setup of that auction sale. There's a group of, you know, anywhere from 100 to 200 people behind the scenes that are working to make that sale successful. 
So to me, that, that's incredibly important is the access to resources. So, you know, when we do get busy, when the industry gets busy, we can ramp up our resources and pull in from multiple areas to make sure that we can match that, that activity level to stay ahead of the game and to make sure that we're, we're continually trying to do everything right. And that's one of the things for me is, is a pride factor is that I still treat, you know, what we do as my own company. And we just have that, that whole pride amongst our team that we want to do the little things right. And we challenge each other to be better and find ways to to improve our business for our customers. For sure. Before we sort of wrap it up and kind of on that note, um, there are best for auctions. Are, are there any upcoming ag auctions or, or big events you want to kind of highlight or discuss? It's actually funny you said that because this just got laid on my desk uh, this morning. And it's our, our summer auction guide that's that's just been printed. I've had the digital one for a couple of days, but this one just got printed. So it's it's kind of fun to be able to look through every year or every, every season, I guess, but it's 76 pages long and we've got 37 on-farm auctions in it. Um, we've got a couple site auctions in it and, and obviously a full, full summer slate of some other auctions coming up and, and real estate, everything, equipment, farm retirement, it's got it all. So it's hard to peg just one, one or two. I know we've got a, we've got a really nice one down in Kincaid, uh, Saskatchewan. And I believe it's for, I had, I had the page marked here. Now I got to sift through it, but for Gordon and Darcy McLeod. Uh, so beautiful sale down there on June 23rd. And then, uh, I, I do want to touch on this other one cause we're seeing it more and more. Um, it's in foam Lake on July 11th. And this is happening more and more where customers, it's not a retirement sale. It's actually a realignment and they're having it on their farm. It, if you look through the pages, it looks exactly like a retirement sale, just like all the other ones, but it's just a realignment where they had a bunch of equipment that they wanted to upgrade and they're using us and our services and our on-site services to help satisfy, you know, rather than hauling it every single piece into a yard, they're going to do it on their farm, which works fine for us and works better for them. So it's thought I'd, thought I'd bring that one up because it is, it is unique. We seem to see, you know, I would say probably three or four years ago, it was rare. And now we're seeing at least one or two a season, which, you know, it's, it's encouraged by us. We can, we can sell your equipment, whichever way works best for you, whether you keep it on your site, whether you want to haul it into our sites, we can handle it. We'll work with uh, any customer on whatever needs that'll satisfy, you know, them selling the equipment through us. So a couple of, couple of good options to take note, but uh, another, another busy summer season coming up. Kicking off soon. Another busy one. <laughs> well, thanks, uh, thanks to you both, Jordan and Luke. It's been uh, it's been great uh, chatting to you, and uh, appreciate your insight and your input. and And uh, thank you again for for joining. Inside Edge, your guide to the latest news and trends in heavy equipment and trucks. To hear past episodes and for more industry insights and articles, visit Richie-Hub.com.